I'm here with Jim Bovard, who has been, um, he's a well-known libertarian writer, has been writing about um, issues related to liberty in the U.S. for years and years. Um, Ten books uh, on the topic, including Lost Rights, Freedom in Chains, Terrorism and Tyranny. Um, His books have been a huge resource for me when when I've written about any of this, um, because he just systematically, you know, outlines all of the, the different, the different ways that government has slowly and sometimes quickly eaten away at our liberties. Um, so Jim, thank you. Thank you for being here. Hey, Brittany, thanks for having me on your program, on your podcast. I really appreciate that. It's a great podcast and it's, it's also nice. It's a pleasure to be with you because I have such respect for your father who was such a great fellow, and I have memories of seeing him at conferences. He was always probably the most jovial person there, but he was very solid. He had very piercing insights, and that's very rare. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, we we really miss him. Um, it's God. It's been five months now, and it still it doesn't really doesn't even seem real. But thank you. Yeah, um, he was he was pretty pretty amazing. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, you know, given, given your work in this area for years and years and years, um, how closely you've been watching the decline of liberty in the U.S., um, what's sort of your bird's eye view of where we are right now? Um, you know, when, when, I guess I should ask you, first of all, when did you start tracking this? When did you become interested in government I don't know even what to call it, government takeover, government, um, you know, destruction of our liberty. Well, it's something which evolved out of my teenage years. Um, I was a Boy Scout, so I had to pledge a pledge to be obedient about nine million times, but it didn't stick. Uh-huh. Um, and I was interested in uh, um, rare coins and gold and silver in the 1970s when I was a teenager and that was a time when the government was wrecking the economy with price controls. And Nixon took the U.S. Uh, uh, off the gold standard, which made it easy, even easier for the Federal Reserve to wreck the currency. And then the politicians put in all these clampdowns. I was watching the Vietnam War wind up. Uh, I was lucky that I turned 18 the year after the draft ended. So um, I didn't have to deal with that nonsense in my life. But um and there were a lot of, you know, um, a lot of different places I lived, and I spent some time in Boston, and that certainly made me cynical about government. Um, it also made me cynical about the kind of people that put government on a pedestal. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, and then I moved to DC, Washington D.C. area in the uh, 1980, and um, I just started was kept working as a journalist and started doing investigative type stuff and you know, boondoggle by boondoggle, atrocity by atrocity, I lost my moderation. <laughs> so what have you, what have you seen? I mean, for me, you know, I, I was, I was living out of the country for a good long stretch of what's been going on, but I came back <clears throat> soon before nine eleven, And so wow. I, you know, what I witnessed, you know, the, the, the change from, you know, when I had left sort of in college age to coming back to what started happening in 9-11, I just saw this, this tremendous rapid decline. Is that, is that something that has just, 
continued? Are we have we just been on this steep downward tra- trajectory since then? Um, you know, there have been uh, some um, you know dead cat bounces. I think is a stock market mm-hmm. term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it hasn't gone straight down, uh, but uh, it's a heck of a heck of a uh, re-entry to come back just before nine yeah. eleven. <laughs> And then see, and then see the nation that, that, to see the politicians taking the nation to hell after that, after those attacks, and to also see the, um, you know, to see the groveling. Uh, the mm-hmm. poll showed that the trust in the government to do the right thing doubled in the weeks after the 9/11 attacks. And wow, I was, you know, I was kind of puzzled by that because I reached the opposite conclusion. I said, well, this is a huge attack. Yeah, but you'd looked closely at the issue. Yeah, well, I was thinking like, well, why would you trust the government now? Um, but it's interesting because we're seeing some parallels with that hysteria and rally around the government to a degree with this pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And to see the high approval ratings for the governors that have wrecked their state's economies yeah. with the um, overly sweeping uh, shutdown orders, uh, it's like, okay, so... Um, statism and maskism is driving the uh, approval polls now or what? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I I don't know what, I mean, I'm in California. I don't know what Newsom's approval ratings are right now, but I've been encouraged by how much public outcry there's been against him and how much, um, you know, people, they're out in front of his house protesting and, and, um, or demanding, demanding that he be impeached and, and all this stuff. So I'm seeing positive signs, but at the same time, I think what you're what you're talking about this sort of, I don't know, instinctual trust in in authority to solve big problems. And I mean, isn't isn't that how they keep getting more power anyway? By you know taking advantage of whatever great crisis there is. Sure. To, you know, um, are what other examples have you seen of that other than nine eleven? Are there other examples where they've sort of, in recent history, grabbed hold of some? seemingly, you know, gargantuan threat and said, oh, you know, we're the only ones who can fix this for you. Well, yeah, there was a similar uh, reaction to that after the uh, 2007-2008 uh, financial collapse. The uh, government, you know, they set up new agencies, they created new precedents, uh, they uh, spent a lot of money that they didn't have. Um, something that the FBI has been doing on a regular basis is fabricating terrorist plots to try mm-hmm. to keep everybody frightened. Um, I think that, you know, there, um, I expect we'll see more of that, uh, for, for gun control issues. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, and, and that would certainly be the case if a Democrat wins the presidency in November. I think you, you'll see a lot more entrapment type operations targeting gun owners. And mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if there was a lot more entrapment targeting libertarians. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it, it's sort of like, uh, Bob Higgs did the, um, one of the best books on this crisis in Leviathan, yeah. how the government feeds off these things. But if you look at the First World War and all the horrible precedents that were set that basically paved the way to the government to take over the economy in the 1930s. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting for me to go back, uh, inter- interesting for me to see how the media usually portrays Woodrow Wilson well, you know, he was an idealist. It's too bad he was a racist, but at least he wanted to bring democracy. And but it's like, you know, how much how much damage can a president do and still have a good reputation? But 
um, yeah. I think since uh, uh, since Wilson did so much to expand government that uh, he still has a halo. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting. It seems that the perception seems to be that the more you do as a politician, you know, you're not you're not accountable for the outcomes of of your policies. You never have to pay the price, you know, that the rest of us do. Um, and so, so that's sort of not a mitigating factor. But it's like the more that you do, the more action you take, the more highly you're regarded. And so there's this push to to do more, even when it's devastating, which is what we're seeing now. I just wonder if we've gotten to a point where people recognize that and, and are starting to see, you know, we're on this sort of deadly path of, you know, feeding feeding these guys more and more power. Do you see any signs that that's happening, that there's that people are waking up to the nature of the state? Well, I think that the um, uh, that that the great pandemic boondoggle is going to make a lot more people um, anarchist, libertarian, or just cynical mm-hmm. as hell forever. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I don't know that that's going that, that's going to be enough to outweigh the number of folks who um, you know grovel, uh, grovel, yeah. or sitting there by their phone waiting to call if they see their neighbor yeah. walking outside, or if they see someone on a, um, you know, a hiking trail, not wearing a mask, um, or they, you know, um, it's just, but it's not like the, it's not like the pandemic changed the nature of the American people. I think it's just made a lot of people show their, their true character. Yeah. Um, and it's brought out so much ugliness and hatred. I mean, there seems to be a theme by some liberals that they're hoping for a higher death rate. Yeah. in areas that have lightened up the shutdowns or ended the shutdowns. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's almost like a, um, uh, like they're waiting for a, um, you know, to, uh, uh, to celebrate. And it's, like, yeah. um, it's in, it's pretty gruesome. It is. And, but, but the kind of, but the people who are, you know, saying those or writing those kind of things is it doesn't hurt their reputation. It's like, well, it, doesn't yeah. this seem kind of hateful? Well, but they're hating the right people. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's a, to me, it reminds me so much of the mentality of the Cultural Revolution in in China, oh, yes. and you know, and I and I've met people who lived through that, and you know, I'd heard so many stories and read so many stories, and you would think that I mean that that was an atrocity. That was what happened there should never happen again, and yet it's as if we don't learn, we don't, we as a, as a society, because obviously some of us do, but um, you know, what's, what's, what's up with people? <laughs> You're asking me? I mean, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there was a, there was a wonderful, uh, wonderful line by the uh, comedian Lily Tomlin. She said, no matter how cynical you get, it's not enough to keep up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not. So, so tell me about, so you have this piece in AIER um, where you sort of go through a lot of the, the costs of the costs to society and to, to regular human beings, not to politicians um, of, of this reaction to COVID-19. What do you think, what's, what are we going to, what's our society going to look like, you know, a, a couple months down the road when we've got time to actually look back and, and see the damage that's been done, what's that going to look like? Um, good question. It's going to look ugly. Uh, Cause there's a lot more damage than what people 
are um, the, what the media and the politicians are admitting. You have a lot of, um, you know, you've got a lot more suicides. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot more people probably going on antidepressants. You've got a lot more people uh, just desperately unhappy. And um, if it was a situation where that was absolutely necessary for a short period of time, eh, but that wasn't how they did it. I mean, what struck me is that the um, the politicians tended to rely on carpet bombing. That well, mm-hmm. let's just shut down the whole state. I mean, you 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 look at a state like Oregon. I mean, okay, you've got quite a few cases, Portland, Salem, and the rest of the states. But you know, hey, folks, you're screwed. We're shutting down your schools. Mm-hmm. We're shutting down your businesses, and you've got to stay inside and. And for what? I mean, uh, it was almost as if they thought they, uh, that they could intimidate the virus by maximizing the uh, punishment of the American people. Right, right. And now it looks like, you know, all the any data anal- anal- analysis that's been done, um, you know, comparing states to states and countries to countries, there's no correlation between containment of the virus and lockdowns. So it's like they're losing their you know, there, there's no, there's no soundness to the foundation on which they built this. And yet they're, they're just, it's not stopping them. It's like they're, you know, they're the policies, which I think you and I already know, but to me, it just seems so, it's so blatant and out in the open now that their policies, especially in a place like California, it has nothing to do with the reality. It has, no, there's no foundation for it. So how do they get away with that? Um, well, they're the government. Um, a part of it is, is most of the media coverage has been very, uh, pro government, if not pro panic. And Mm -hmm. it's been biased in favor of the notion that the government needs to shut down as much as possible for as long as possible. And it's been a very skewed scoring as far as, um, um, skewed scoring in the sense as, as if the only thing that mattered was a number of infections and fatalities from COVID and disregarding all the other damage, I mean, the 30 mm-hmm. or 40 million jobs lost, well, that's an asterisk, you know, but we lowered the death rate by, you know, 5% less than what it would have been. Right. Um, so, I mean, and it's it's interesting to see the, uh, to see so many um, government officials uh, uh, talking sanctimonious, sanctimoniously about the science or the data. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. hell, the science didn't guide us very well now, did it? Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, because if you look at the forecast they were making in, in early March, what was it? One or two million Americans were going to die. Um, yeah. I mean, the the um, the Imperial College report has just been ripped to shreds. I mean, that's in my mind, that's that that was criminal. When you look at at the projections that they made, and then you know, people, I, I'm not a data scientist, and I'm not a, I don't know anything about about coding, but people who know what they're talking about have looked at the code for this and said, this is garbage. And yet all of, all of these policies were based on it. And it's just, it's mind boggling to me that, you know, I I understand how states operate, but it's just mind boggling that something so badly flawed can have such a big impact. And there's just, there's no consequence to either the people who came up with the projections or to the people who implemented it. Yeah, um, I agree, and it's it's puzzling that the that the level of um, the, the the level of uh, false false predictions um, has not done anything to undercut the sanctimony. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like these folks were, you know, were put themselves in a pedestal uh, two, three months ago, and and they're still there, even though they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a football coach whose uh, whose football team lost almost all the games, but still expects to be treated like Vince Lombardi. Right. Um, right. So I don't see it. I mean, there are so many disconnects, and maybe that as time goes on, people will be able. To, as time goes on, more people will add two and two together on this and recognize the horrendous damage that was done. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of the paradox is Trump has said and done a lot of stupid things on this. Mm-hmm. Flip side is a lot of the Democrats are even worse. Yeah. I mean, as far as wanting to shut down as much as possible forever, practically. Yeah. Well, you know, we got to keep shut down until there's a vaccine. It's like, you know, um, excuse me while I breathe. <laughs> One thing, sorry, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, getting back to the Bob Higgs, to Bob Higgs work, uh, what do you see in terms of the growth of, um, state power? Like, do you, do you see ways in which they're putting in place more power for themselves going forward? I mean, there are some obvious, obvious examples, but are there, are there some specific things that you've seen? Um, you know, Politicians have learned how much they can get away with, uh, and they've you know they got got away with a hell of a lot more than I expected they would. Yeah, um, I mean something uh, as simple as shutting down all the schools. Uh, uh, prior to uh, early March, the CDC had said, well, you know, maybe that's not a good idea. It really wouldn't help because you end up having the kids around the grandparents more, mm-hmm. and the grandparents have got a much higher fatality rate. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Let's shut down the schools. And um, that's, I mean, um, uh, I'm living in Maryland and for decades, the Maryland politicians have uh, justified increased taxes and increased spending in order to close the achievement gap between different races of students. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is, well, uh, um, and this, you know, this shutdown, schools have been shut down here since March. They'll be shut down at least through the end of the year. Yeah. Um, this is going to greatly uh, worsen that achievement gap. Yeah. Because you've got, yeah. you know, um, parents who are, you know, beating their kids over the head with a book and other parents are either having to work jobs or otherwise not focus on the kids' education. Um, yeah. But yeah. so there's going to be a whole new set of crisis. And, but it's, um, I've always been amazed at how much BS the politicians get away with, especially around here on the state and local level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's just this time around, it's been, even for for cynics like ourselves, um, I think everyone's been shocked by how much they've been able to get away with. And that now they're talking about, um, you know, implementing immunity passports. So if you want to be able to travel or, you know, go back to work or, you know, God only knows what, you've got to, you know, become a part of this massive surveillance state. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, there's so much hypocrisy on that. For instance, uh, here in Maryland, they're hiring like a thousand or more contact uh, tracers to tra- uh, track down everybody who a person was became positive, um, had contact with. At the same time, the government is prohibiting uh, county governments from disclosing which nursing homes have the most <laughs> COVID infections. Wow. Wow. So this is oh, this is a paradox. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially given that nursing homes were like ground zero for 
for the deaths. I mean, yep, yep. Uh, more than half the nursing homes uh, fatalities in Maryland are from there. Other states, 60, 70 percent. Uh, and then you've got Governor Cuomo, but that's a different <sighs> story. Who will, and that leads back to your article. Um, you know, if, if anyone else had taken the kind of action he'd taken, if he, anyone else had put people in that position and, you know, from all appearances caused those, those deaths. I mean, anybody else before a court, I think would be convicted at least of manslaughter for what, for what he's done. And yet, as you point out in your article, he's, he's gonna, he's, he's not gonna face that, those kinds of charges. He's not gonna pay for this. Why is that? Um, because of sovereign immunity. I mean, it doesn't matter what the government does. It's almost impossible to hold uh, high-ranking government officials and politicians liable. What sovereign immunity has done is created a two-tiered society, those above the law and those below it, those who the law fails to bind and those who the law fails to protect. And isn't that exactly, I mean, isn't, isn't that very much sort of at the heart of what this country was established to prevent? It wasn't the whole thing, no more kings, no more rulers, you know, a a free country where the law applies to everyone and everybody everybody is free so long as they don't violate the the rights of others. Doesn't, Doesn't what we have now kind of go directly against all of those values? Absolutely. And it was, um, there was a lot of, um, a a number of law professors have pointed out the irony that the U.S. fought against England based because because the king was basically acting like he had unlimited power here, he and his uh, delegates here. Uh, But uh, 20, 30 years after the revolution, you've got Chief Justice John Marshall, who simply simply invents the doctrine of sovereign immunity. And there were some uh, some writers at the time, John Taylor, a U.S. senator from Virginia, who called them out on that, but that's been almost completely forgotten. The whole notion of sovereign immunity is is an absolute travesty because it, it's, it's based on the idea that government is sovereign, but as the courts recognize about once every 50 years, the whole point of the uh, uh, Constitution is that the American people are sovereign. Mm-hmm. And if the American people are sovereign, then the government cannot be sovereign. So how it, it seems like the way that's played out is the the sovereignty of the American people has just sort of gone by the wayside. Are there examples where that hasn't happened or where they were <laughs> sovereignty? Of- <laughs> Damn, that's a hard it's question. It's not a joke question. Man, hey, 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 I should have had a warning for a hard question like that. <laughs> Are there examples where it hasn't played out? Um, yeah. Every now and then, every now and then a cop was convicted of murder for killing people, but, in circumstances that, you know, any private citizen would have been convicted. But if you look at the ratio of questionable police shootings and the number of convictions, it's probably at least um, 10 or 20 to 1 where the where the police, you know, are not held accountable. There are police shootings that are justified or maybe justified, and I'm not talking about when a, a cop shoots a bank robber. Uh, but, um, no, I mean, that's, you know, that's a good measure of, of, of the rights that Americans have. And uh, people have forgotten how, how hard the Obama administration pushed against even keeping track of the number of uh, private citizens who were killed by police. Hmm. They, 
strongly opposed to that. Uh, so it's like, I mean, Trump is very bad on this issue, uh, but it's like it's, you know, it's a two-party scam. Yeah, yeah, and always has been. Um, yeah, I mean, here in California, uh, Newsom just, and, and this has sort of been part of all the lockdowns altogether, is is um, restrictions on demonstrating on protests. So now, you know, he's coming out and saying, well, you know, you can, you can protest, but under these conditions, it's like, wh- where's that in the constitution? Where's that in the first amendment? You know, and yet they, they, they get away with it. Um, so the whole, so your, the title of your article, um, will the political class be held liable for what they've done? It seems clear. And it seems like it's becoming more clear, I think to more people that, the political class is never held accountable um, because it's built for itself all these protections um, like sovereign immunity that basically mean they can do whatever they want. They can, they can shut down our entire economy if they want to, and they personally will never pay the price for it. And yet throughout history, when things get really bad, you know, there are revolutions, there's the collapse of the Roman Empire, where do you think this is headed? What, what do you think, you know, as this just becomes more and more ludicrous um, and more damaging to people's lives and livelihoods, where do you think it's headed? I don't know, but there is a growing, uh, been a huge increase in discontent and distrust of the American government, the federal government, and a lot of the state governments. Um, the, the government's piling up debt so quickly at some point, uh, if they're not able to, um, you know, finance that debt, then uh, things could come crashing down pretty quickly as far as the government financial structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been disappointed that, that more people did not get angrier sooner mm-hmm. uh, as far as the government abuse. And a large part of this is the media's fault. I mean, if you look at George W. Bush, uh, you know, I guess, what, 17 years ago, Bush lied this nation into the war in Iraq against Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. Horrendous uh, consequences for American soldiers, American taxpayers, and the Iraqi people, yeah. and elsewhere in the Middle East. And what's and but nowadays the media is basically, um, you know, putting a halo over George W. Bush's head because he's not Donald Trump. And yeah. it's like, okay, okay, you know, so torture wasn't really that bad or, well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about Trump's tweets. Yeah, yeah. Trump yeah. hasn't done a lot of bad stuff, but to, you know, to exonerate, to absolve George W. Bush, yeah. it was similar with John McCain when he died. It was like, it was like, okay, this guy was a saint. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, a big part of the problem to me is that, um, there's so much focus on the personalities and on, you know, whether you're a Trump supporter or an Obama supporter, or, you know, and to me, that's just a way of, of sort of getting the attention off where it should be. It's really a distraction, but, it, but, you know, the, where, where we should be looking is, you know, there's this tremendous institutional problem, which is that we now have this institution that has unlimited power. And it doesn't really matter which face or which party happens to be the the poster boy for that institution at the moment. And yet people, there still seems to be this so much attention placed on the personalities. Um, why do you think that is? And do you think, do you see any indication of that changing? 
Well, um, one reason it's the attention is kept there is because um, it works out a lot better for the government. I mean, if you had people paying attention to the FBI's long history of entrapment and deceit and, you know, ruining the lives of innocent people as well as screwing up some of his big investigations, yeah. that would be um, that would be bad for the um, um, that would be bad for the majesty of the federal government. And majesty is the right word here because. So much of the media coverage, it puts agencies like the FBI on a pedestal mm -hmm. and it acts like, well, the, you know, it's important to rally around them and these are our saviors. And this is something which both conservatives and liberals have uh, joined in at different times. I mean, it was uh, stunning to me to see liberals, uh, you know, um, with so much boundless affection for the FBI's power after Trump came to office. <laughs> um, I have uh, memories going to one of the women's marches, protest marches in Washington, D.C., and there were uh, a number of women wearing uh, shirts or, um, you know, hockey jerseys saying it's saying that it was Mueller time for the special counsel and the former FBI chief. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, you know, you have the liberals talking about the FBI like they're, you know, God's angels. That's like, yeah. Man, I mean, you know, what happened to people's memories? That's, right, that's right, right. So for people who um, who do sort of recognize the problem, um, or for anyone, anyone who's um, who just wants to see this reversed, who doesn't, who's not happy with the government having this kind of power, what are some practical things you can that that you think might might um, be steps in the right direction, or or I hesitate to say solution, but, you know, everyone out here is talking about, you know, we've got to vote these guys out and a recall for Newsom. And, you know, that's obviously not it. And people are also talking about lawsuits. But as you say, sovereign immunity protects them. So are there any tools that are left to us to to deal with this? Well, I mean, the, the perhaps the fundamental change is people need a different attitude towards government across the board and government power and to recognize that government is an alien and to recognize that the more arbitrary power the politicians and government officials have, the more likely it is that they're going to ruin your life uh, or, or kill your job or, you know, shut down the schools, uh, schools that were bad to start with. Uh, so, um, I mean... More self-respect and more faith in your own freedom and judgment. Um, it's, you know, that's kind of a throwaway line at this point. And it's hard for people to hear after you've got 30 or 40 million jobs that have been destroyed by the pandemic response. Um, it was probably easier for people to have self-respect before they were unemployed. So um, I don't, you know, I wish... I wish I had a silver bullet or I wish I knew where I could point you to find the silver bullet, but I'm not uh, optimistic short term. I think long term, there'll be a bounce back for freedom, but things have been going downhill for a long time and uh, they've certainly accelerated this year. And um, we're, you know, we're facing another presidential contest where you've got um, two candidates. Neither one's got a reputation for honesty yeah. and both have a love of power. Yeah. And so how's this going to work out? Yeah. Yeah. Final question. 
everybody's talking about this new normal that we have to get used to, you know, with kids sort of separated by plastic and all, you know, not allowed to play on the playground with each other and all this stuff. What's the new normal, not short term, that's obviously looking pretty bad. Long term, what's a new normal that you're looking forward to? <laughs> that I'm looking forward to. Okay, yeah. well, you know, I'm looking forward to hear to hear less BS about the pandemic. I'm I'm less looking forward to hear less BS about how politicians are protecting us. I'm looking forward to have the uh, cops with less power if, if that can happen. Uh, and I'm looking forward to trying to enjoy as much freedom as I can. Awesome. Awesome. Um, where can people find you online? I'm going to link to some of your books and to your okay, article. Thank you. uh, www.jimbovard, B-O-V-A-R-D. It's one of those French names. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Where else could they? Um, I write for a bunch of different places. I'm on the board of contributors of USA Today and I write for American Conservative Future Freedom Foundation, um, you know, Mises Institute. Now, I guess for AIER and uh, some other places. So, uh, you know, yeah. You're around. So. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and uh, thanks and best of luck. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to a fellow author and congratulations on that great review from Kirkus. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for Annabelle. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thanks. And, um, Stay well in all of this. All right. Same to you. Stay healthy. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.